Matthew chapter 6. You know, I, I didn't, we didn't plan it this way, but, uh, you know, we just prayed for those who steward our money, and our sermon today is on treasure and, and money. Um, we did the prayer that way today again for um, this particular time of year, but it's, it's all coordinating well together. So Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word that uh, Jesus, our, our great teacher, would, would show us a, uh, the best and better way for us to live when it comes to our, our money and our treasure. In Christ's name, amen. So we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount now for a few months, and we've been seeing that Jesus, the, the great teacher, is teaching us a, a different way to live our lives than what the world offers to us. And throughout this, his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, he has, he has challenged our world's view of things and the way that we tend to go about living our day-to-day -day life naturally. And in this Sermon on the Mount, he's offering us a, a different way to be in the world. And when we read the Sermon on the Mount, we've talked about this a few times, Jesus is not giving us his new law He's not giving us these, these rules to follow that will somehow then, if we follow them rightly, will make us right with God. Uh, this is an invitation from the greatest teacher who has ever lived to come and to learn from him how to live our life now in the kingdom of heaven. And so today we're going to talk about Jesus's better way when it comes to money and possessions. And as followers of Jesus, we are people who claim to have faith in Jesus. And part of what it means to have faith in him, it means that we trust him, that we trust what he says. We believe that his words and his instructions, that they have power, that Jesus has, has the best information about how to live life in this world. Jesus is the smartest person that has ever lived. He knows more about the human heart, and he knows more about the world's economy than anyone who has ever lived. He knows more about money than your financial advisor, or the head of the World Bank, or the chair of the Financial Reserve. He knows more about all of it than any of those people. And so when Jesus talks about how we should understand money and how we should use our money, we need to listen to him. And not only because this is like something that will make God happy with us or whatever, but 
To have faith in him, to trust in him, is to believe that what he says about money and how we should use it is for our happiness and for our joy and for our good and for the good of our community. Do you believe that? To say that I have faith in Jesus is to say that I believe that what he says about my life and about the way that I act and the way that I go about doing things, to have faith in him means that I believe that he has the best instructions about those things. So if you look at the, the, the bulletin in your, the outline in your bulletin today, there are three sections that we're going to look at in the scripture today. The first one talks about our treasure. The second one talks about our vision. And the third section talks about our master or who it is that we worship. And when we put all three of these things together, uh, what Jesus is teaching us is that our whole life is directed by our hearts. Our whole life is directed by what we desire, what we want, what we love. So verses 19, 19 through 21, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our treasures are those things that are, are precious to us. They're things that we, that we trust in, things that we, uh, make us feel safe and secure. And all of us have treasures. Everyone has treasures. Even little children have treasures. You've already seen what one of mine was when I was a little kid. Okay? This, this, is, this was one of my treasures when I was a little kid. Um, this is cutest little dog. That was his name. Cutest little dog, and this was one of my treasures. You probably had a treasure when you were a little kid, something that you held close to you. All three of our girls have blankets that they loved. And when they went to bed, they didn't have those blankets. I remember one time we, we left our, our parents' house, and one of our girls had forgot their blankets, and we were already, I think, maybe even flying back to Vancouver, and she was just distraught that she did not have that treasure, that blanket. It was something that kept her safe. At least she thought that it did. And treasures, I, I want to say, they're, they're not necessarily bad things to have. In fact, I want to say that they're, they're good things to have. But what Jesus teaches us here is that we shouldn't store up earthly treasures. We shouldn't hoard them. The focus of our life should not be to gain more earthly things to make us feel more safe and secure here in this life. It's really interesting when we look at these, uh, these few verses about treasure Notice the reason for why we shouldn't store up treasures on earth. In order to answer that question, I, I want to give an illustration, and I'm going to embarrass someone. Matt. Matt, would you come up here for a second? This is Matt Beck. Matt's been coming for a few months. He's one of our new members that we're going to introduce in a couple months. And uh, Matt's a good dude, man. No, Glad no, you're here. You. Okay. Matt. I've got a decision for you to make, and this is not a trick. Okay, this is not a trick. I'm not going to you know, embarrass you or trick you, but I, I am going to give you a choice, okay? You have a choice. I have a bright, shiny penny right here, and if you want, I will give this penny to you right now. 
and you can take it and you can have it and it's yours. Or your other choice, and again, this isn't a trick, the other choice is you can wait to the end of my sermon and I'll give you $10. So it's your choice. Do you, okay. <laughs> it's not that long. It's like 30 minutes. So it's your choice, totally your choice. Do you want the penny now or do you want the $10 in like 27 minutes? It's up to you. The ten dollars. Okay. All right. Go ahead. So Matt has chosen to wait thirty minutes to the ten dollars, and that was a risk because Pastor Ryan he might have a heart attack right now, and I might forget. You know, you might not get to have this penny, but in thirty minutes you will get ten dollars um, if all things go well. <laughs> now I want to ask the question: Did did Matt make that decision? because he's selfish and then he wants more money? Was that the reason why he made that decision? No. He made that decision because he's smart, right? Notice the reason for why Jesus says we shouldn't store up treasures on earth rather than on heaven. Is it because if we store up treasures here on earth, we'll be really selfish people? Now, that might be true, but that's not the point that Jesus makes here. He tells us that we shouldn't store up treasures on earth because it's a dumb thing to do. It's not wise. It's a bad investment. It's taking the penny now when eternal wealth is waiting for us. Jesus doesn't say, don't store up treasures here on earth because if you do, you'll be a really selfish person. That might be true, but it's not what Jesus is concerned about here. He's concerned about us being wise to make good investments because your treasures here on earth, they are passing away. They will go away. They will disappear. They do not last long. Treasures on earth do not last, whether it's our money or our reputation, or our stuffed animal, or our blanket. None of those treasures in and of themselves are bad. In fact, I would suggest they are good things to have. But Jesus is telling us, don't store them up. Don't make it your goal to acquire more and more and more of them in order to make you feel more secure here, because they can't actually make you secure. Don't invest your time and your energy and your money into gaining more and more earthly treasures because they won't last. And Jesus tells us that this is inevitable. They are not going to last, and there's nothing we can do to keep them. So instead, we should store up treasures in heaven, invest our time and our energy and our money in things that will last forever, in our relationship with God, in our relationship with other people, in work that contributes to the kingdom of God. These are the kinds of things that will last forever. These are treasures in heaven. And he finishes this section by saying, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where we invest our treasures, where we invest our time and our energy and our money, that's where our heart is going to be as well. We have an interest in those things that we invest in. Isn't it interesting that the return on our investments is called interest? We earn interest in those things that we invest in. 
And this is true whether we are investing in the stock market or whether we're investing in the lives of people or some other uh, uh, project for the kingdom of God. We earn and we acquire interest in the things that we invest in because our hearts follow our treasure. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. Verse 22 and 23, Jesus talks about our vision. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? This is an interesting and I think strange part of this section in that it doesn't seem to fit, right? I mean, we've got a section about treasure, and then he has this teaching about the eyes, the lamp of the body, and then he talks then about serving two masters, either God or money. The, the first two seem to, the first and the third seem to go together, but this one in the, in the middle um, doesn't seem to quite fit. This is one that I've been thinking about a lot this week. And at the end of this, he says this really curious thing. If the light that is in you is dark, it's a weird thing to say, right? If the light that is in you is dark, how great is that darkness? I thought quite a bit about these verses this week. And here's what I think Jesus is after here. Jesus wants to help us see clearly about what is eternally important. He is giving us the right set of glasses to correct our poor vision so that we can see clearly. If we can see clearly, if we can see correctly, if we can see accurately about our treasure and about our money, then we're going to be able to live more faithfully to him. But if we don't see clearly, if we don't see correctly, then we're going to come to believe that our treasure, and particularly our money, is more valuable and important than it really is. If our vision about our money and about our treasure and our possessions, if our vision about these things is bad, we're eventually going to go on living in the dark, in confusion, in deceit, in lies. We're going to live according to ideas that are going to deceive us and to lead us astray. And I think that this is what Jesus means when he says, if the light in you is darkness, how deep then is that darkness? Because if the light in you is darkness, if, if the beliefs and the ideas that guide your life, if those beliefs and ideas are lies, how terrible is that going to be for you? If you are making decisions based on lies or wrong information, then you are in trouble. So Jesus wants to heal our vision about our treasure and our money and how they relate to our hearts. And we're going to come back to this in a minute. But the truth is our culture trains us, trains us to live with the wrong information about money. We are trained to see money as a way towards happiness and safety and security. And if that is the idea that guides your life, how deep is the darkness for you? You are trusting your life on something that is going to go away, something that's going to disappear. The third section, verse 24, about our master and our worship. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Notice, Jesus says that we cannot serve both God and money. He's not telling us that we should not serve both God and money. He's not telling us, thou shalt not serve two masters. He's telling us that you can't do it. It is impossible to do. There is only room in your heart for one master, one Lord, one king. You cannot serve God in money, or God in self, or God in sex, or God in power. It is an impossible thing to do. Your master is the one who is at the very center of your heart, the one that you are loyal to, the one that you submit to, and you cannot have two of them. There is only room for one of them in your heart. You cannot serve two masters. So I think that these three, these three teachings that Jesus gives here, the teaching on treasure and then the teaching on vision and the way that what we see and how we see things, how that influences our, our whole life, and then this teaching on two masters, I think that all of that can be summed up with Jesus' teaching about how, how our whole life is directed from our hearts. It's directed from our hearts. In each of these sections, Jesus returns to our inner life to our hearts. And he's reminded us that our entire life is directed by by what we desire, by what we want, and by what we love. The decisions that we make, the way that you and I choose to act, they're not always consistent with what we think or what we believe. Our actions don't always follow what we think up here to be true. Sometimes our hearts haven't quite caught up with our minds. Our actions, I want to suggest to you, do always follow our hearts. They always flow out of what's in here. The things that we desire, the things that we long for, the things that we love, our actions flow out of that. I want to suggest to you that I think that this is a problem for us in in the church for the ways that we have approached discipleship over many years. The approach that we have often taken to discipleship is that if we can get the right information and knowledge into people's minds, then they will act in the right way. But the truth is, is about human nature, is that we act according to our desires, the things that we love, the things that we want. And sometimes we know certain truths up here, but our hearts haven't yet caught up with that. Our heart desires things that we know are bad for us. Has that not been your experience? Our heart wants things and goes against the very things that we believe in and know to be true. There's been two books that have come out recently about this, and I want to recommend both of them to you. One is called uh, Teach Us to Want by Jen Pollock Michelle, and the other one is called You Are What You Love by Jamie Smith. And what the authors in these books argue is that our primary problem, our primary problem, is not simply that we think wrong things, but that we want wrong things. That our desires are disordered, they are aimed in the wrong direction. And we need God to reorder our desires, to aim our hearts, the things that we love, into the right direction. 
And what they also argue is that our desires, the things that we want, our cravings, that they are actually being shaped in us at a subconscious level, in a way that we're often not very aware of. I have this, this vision. Um, I don't know when I, I got it, but I have this vision of myself um, driving along like Highway 1 in California at nighttime in a luxury car with classical music playing. And like the moonlight shining through the moonroof as I drive. Like this is a, like this little desire that I have. Where was that created? It was, it was given to me by the world. It was given to me because I, I watch a lot of sports and there's lots of car commercials on TV. I never thought in my mind, hey, I'd really like to have this luxury car, and then I cultivated and developed that desire in me. It was given to me by the world. Our desires are being shaped, and they're being aimed at a million things every single day by advertising and by commercials. When you walk through the mall, you're not only being told what you should buy, you're also being told what you should want what you should desire. And our desires all the time are being directed and aimed towards the wrong things. And I want to suggest to you that Hollywood and the business world, they are far more shrewd about this than we are in the church. They know that what Jesus said is true. And so they aim at our hearts. They aim at our desires. They put their products next to beautiful people. They design products that are pleasing to the eye. They know that our thoughts and our money and our opinions will come if they've captured our hearts. And so in this is what Jesus is teaching in these three sections, that where our treasure is, there our hearts are going to be also. If our vision is being formed by things that are untrue, we are going to be living in darkness. And our hearts only have room for one master. Our life is directed from our hearts by what we desire, by what we want. And so we need to ask Jesus. I love the title of this book. Teach us to want. Teach us not only the right information about you, of course, but also teach us to desire and to want those things that are for our eternal good. Teach us, Lord, to want, to desire in the right way. So I want to talk a little bit about what Jesus in the Bible had to say about money. Uh, It says a lot about money. Um, Of the 38 parables that Jesus told, money plays a role in 16 of them. Um, Over a third of them, money plays some sort of role. He talks about money actually more than any other topic. He knows the power and the hold that money can have over us in the very unique way that money can grab our hearts and deceive us. Jesus knows that people want and they believe that money can do things for them that only God can really do. That money for us is often a source of security. It's a source of acquiring things. Uh, It's a way for us to get things that we want so that we can build up our own kingdom. It's a source of our significance. You know, we have this phrase in our American English, what's that person worth? You know, a rich person, that's the way we describe it. What's that person worth? Meaning, how much do they own? What a terrible, terrible phrase. 
So in addition to Matthew chapter 6, uh, there's some other examples here that I just want to mention about what Jesus and other parts of the Bible say about money. There's the, the story of the parable of the sower. And if you remember that story, uh, Jesus tells about a farmer who goes out and he sows seed in the field. And uh, some of the, the seed falls on, on ground that's rocky and um, uh, other falls on ground that's, um, that's packed down and so it doesn't get into the dirt. And others fall, amount, uh, fall among the thorns. And then other uh, parts of that seed, that good news of the gospel, falls on good soil and produces a good fruit. In that section where he talks about the seed falling on, uh, on the, the, thorn, the soil where the thorns are, he, he points out specifically the deceitfulness of wealth. He calls the thorns uh, the deceitfulness of wealth. We the story about the rich, the rich young man who comes to him and asks him the question, Lord, how can I inherit eternal life? And he looks at this man and he says, uh, sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and come and follow me. And the rich man goes away sad because he could not follow Jesus' instructions. And then Jesus turns to the crowd and he says, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Later in the scriptures, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, Paul writes this, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. James 5, Listen, rich people, your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in these last days. Sobering words from the scriptures about the dangers of money. And I want to give you three characteristics of money that come out of the passage in Matthew chapter 6 and from these four passages that we've looked at. Three characteristics of money. The first is this. Money is going away. It's going to disappear. Perhaps very literally in your own lifetime. Investing in the stock market or stuffing it under your mattress or whatever, it's not always safe there. It may disappear in your lifetime. And we know countries in our own history, just in the last 10 years or so, that have had very stable economies and people worked their entire lives assuming that when they retired, that money that they had saved up or that pension that they have would be waiting for them. Just ask people in Greece over the last 10 years whether or not their money can be kept safe. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a sky is falling kind of guy. I just want to tell you the truth about your money. Your money will disappear, maybe even in your life. And even if it doesn't, even if you are one of the very fortunate few in the history of the whole world where things actually work out exactly like you planned them, your money will not have any value to you when you die. It has no eternal value by itself. And so Jesus is telling us in this passage that we should not store up for ourselves treasures on earth, not again simply because it makes us selfish, but because it's a bad investment. It's going away. The second characteristic about money that these passages teach us is that it is deceptive. That's what Jesus says in the parable of the sower, that the deception of wealth are one of those thorns that can choke out our faith in God. Jesus says that there are some people who hear the good news, they respond to Jesus, they begin to follow him, but the deception of wealth comes and it chokes out their faith. 
money has this way of making us believe that we would be happy if we had more of it. It has a way of deceiving us into believing that if we had just a little bit more, then we would be content. But the exact opposite is true. The more that you get, the more that you want. Adam and Eve were in a perfect garden with all of the abundance that they could ever imagine, but they wanted just one more thing. And we have followed their lead. We always want one more thing. Rich Mullins, uh, back in the 80s or 90s, had a song that uh, said, uh, everybody says that they need just one thing. But what they really mean is they need just one thing more. Money deceives us into making us feel like we are in control of our lives, making us feel like we are safe and secure because we have it. The Bible teaches us that money is deceptive. It leads us to believe things about our life that aren't true. It's deceptive. The third characteristic that this passage and other parts of the Bible teach us about money is that it wants to be your God. Money is not content with being a tool. It aims to be your God. It aims to control you. And it is a terrible master. Like a fire, it's a great tool, but it's a terrible master when it gets out of control. And the biblical view of money is that money competes against our allegiance to the one true living God. Money is an obstacle to our commitment to Jesus. If it's used rightly, it can be a tool to help us follow Jesus. But before God can use it as a tool, we have to understand that it's dangerous that it's not safe. I used to go hunting with my dad, and he would give me the gun, and those first times out, and really every time after, he would remind me how dangerous this thing is. Before I can use it well, I need to know how dangerous it is. It's the same with money. Before you use it, can use it well, you need to know how dangerous it can be for you. So those are three characteristics about money. Uh, Matt, you're doing good. $10 is coming real soon, okay? So these three characteristics about, about money, that it wants to be your God, um, that it is deceptive, and what was the first one I said? It's going away. These three characteristics are always true about money in every place and in every time. But I think that, that we need to be very honest with ourselves as 21st century Americans that we may be uniquely blind to these three characteristics in ways that people in other cultures haven't been. Our eyes, our vision is really bad when it comes to money. We just don't see this topic very well. The teaching of Jesus and the rest of the New Testament is that money is an obstacle to the kingdom of God. How hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's an obstacle. This is true for every culture, but the fact that wealth and possessions are dangerous for our souls, it's been true across the board for everyone at every time, but I think it's particularly true for us because we tend to be so blind to it. Our vision is not clear about money. Our eyes are bad. I want to say every single one of us, if you grew up in this particular culture, our eyes are just bad about it. We do not naturally think well about it. 
I want you to take notice, for instance, about the ways that our culture trains us to be discontent, to believe that if we used money to acquire this or that thing, then we would feel happy or, or have some experience that would make us satisfied. And none of us, this goes back to that, our hearts being aimed in the wrong direction. There's nobody that says, if I buy this shirt, that I'm going to be happy. <laughs> nobody does that. Nobody says that out loud. We don't think that in our heads. But often our actions are different. They reflect something else that's true about us. So every commercial and billboard that you see, it's trying to make you discontent trying to say to you that in some way your life is not as good as it otherwise could be if you just acquired this or had this experience. You don't smell quite as good as you could, right? You, your dishes don't quite sparkle as much as they could. You know, the fun in your life just isn't quite as fun as it could be. And I just want to say to you, as followers of Jesus, we need to recognize and name and see when our world is doing this to us. To name it for what it is, that it's trying to make us discontent and to be blind to these truths about money. So I want to talk a little bit about one last passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 through 19. I want to talk about Jesus' way with money. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 18 through 19. This is Paul, and I think here Paul is giving his, his interpretation, his sermon of this part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says this, Command them, that is those who are rich, command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Here's my summary of what Paul says. Our money is useful but meaningless. My friend Isaac, he was the pastor at, uh, associate pastor at the previous church that I was at. He prayed that prayer one day before we were taking uh, the offering. He prayed that prayer, Lord, teach us that this money is useful but meaningless. And it just changed my life. It grabbed something in me and changed my understanding and my uh, view of money. Our money is useful but meaningless. It is a tool, but it is not the thing. It is useful to us. But we have to ask, useful for what? The world says it's useful for storing up treasures on earth. But Jesus, our teacher, the wisest person that has ever lived, the one who understands money and the human heart and the world's economy better than anyone else, he tells us if, if we see our money as merely useful for storing up treasures on earth, we're going to be really disappointed because it's a bad investment. And Paul, one of the best students of Jesus that has ever lived, he says to us, rather than using our money to make us more secure in this world, use your money to make you more secure in the age to come. 
The image that Paul uses is the foundation of a house. Use your money to build your foundation for your eternal home. Money is useful. And how you spend your money is a barometer. It shows us what you love. It's a measurement for what you love. What does your monthly budget say about what you love, what you desire, what you want? Money is useful to help us gain what we want. So what does your use of it reflect about what you want? When your money is used rightly, it is useful to build our relationship with God, our relationship with other people, and it's useful for the sake of the kingdom of God. And so I want to finish today by talking very briefly about three habits, three regular practices that you can engage in that will make your money useful to you in your relationship with God, in your relationship with other people, and in your own work in the kingdom. These three habits, I think, are a way of reshaping our hearts, of, of uh, changing our desires and aiming our hearts in the proper place. If we simply live according to what the culture says to us, our desires will be shaped towards its goals and its aims. I think that these practices, these habits can help to retrain, refocus, reshape our hearts so that it's aimed in the right direction. First, Regularly give money away in secret. Give money away in secret. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus said that when you give to the needy, do it in secret so that your Father in heaven sees you. And when he sees it, he will reward you. And remember, the reward, more than anything else, more than whatever kind of uh, jewel in your crown may be waiting for you later, the reward now is the experience of his presence. And when you give in secret, it becomes a work that you and the Father are doing together. And when you do work together with anybody, and especially with God, you grow to love and enjoy them more. So give your money away in secret, just you and the Father. Give to those who are in need so that no one else knows except for you and for him. Secondly, use your money in ways that bring you together with other people rather than isolate you. Think about ways that you can use your money that brings you together, that creates community in your life. Many of us spend hundreds of dollars every month on television and movies. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with television and movies, but that's a lot of time and energy and money doing something that actually isolates us from people. Think about ways that you could use your money in some ways this month that would help you build relationships with other people. Take someone out for a really nice meal. Matt, come on up. Take someone out else out to a movie with you. Go to a Tin Caps game and take your pastor with you. <laughs> Tickets are about 10 bucks, so. <laughs> Enjoy a Tin Caps game with a friend. You know, do it, use your money Use your money in such a way that helps you build relationships with other people rather than in spending it in certain ways that isolate you from community. And the last thing, invest eternally. This is part of the motto for the men of Broadway. Invest eternally. Use our time and our energy and our money in whatever way we can in things that will last forever. 
Give your money to organizations and to work that is seeking to have an eternal impact on people's lives. So what I want to do now is to take a time of of silence and for you to reflect on what you've heard today, to think about these three habits or practices that you could uh, engage in in your life, giving away your money in secret, using it in such a way that will help expand your community and bring you together with people rather than isolate you or ways that you could invest eternally. I want you simply to ask the Lord to show you which one of those practices, practices he is asking you to make a regular part of your life, a habit that will shape and direct your heart, that will aim your heart in a different direction, that will, will serve as a countermeasure to the world that is always telling us that we need to desire this or that thing and to be discontent. We need to do things, to practice things, to have habits in our life that counter and go against that. So I want to ask you to ask the Lord to show you which of these habits you might begin to make a regular practice in your own life. Jesus, our King, I ask you this morning that you would help us to trust in you, to trust that your words to us about this topic and every topic that you speak of is the very best for us and for our church, and for our community. Lord, I pray that we would be people of of your way, people of the, the Jesus way of doing things. So Lord, I pray that you would you would show us, first of all, to help us recognize the parts of our life where we have come to, to believe what the world says to us about money, the ways that the light in us is actually darkness, our ideas, our opinions about money, that the way that it's actually wrong, that it's, it's lies, show us that. And God, show us the truth about our life. Show us the truth about our eternal life. Help us to trust in you that what you have to say is the very best instructions that we could ever receive about these things. Amen.